All right, folks, it is Monday. It's Dr. King's Day. And happy Dr. King's Day to everybody. And let's celebrate a little bit of who he was and who he stood for and what he stood for on this crossover episode of Locked on Diamondbacks and Locked on MLB. You are Locked on MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to a Locked On MLB, Locked On Diamondbacks crossover on today, the 16th day of January 2023. This is the podcast we talk about all the Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. If you don't believe me, look at my lower third. Why would that lie to you? You can call me Sully. I am an Emmy-nominated television producer who has been a baseball podcaster for over a decade now. And some of you may recognize me from some of my HBO sports appearances and other things like that. And this is now my fifth, fifth, one, two, three, four, five, fifth year. As Is that true? Holy cats. <laughs> the, at the Locked Up Podcast Network. Wow. This is the, my, yeah, my fifth season. Uh, the, the Nationals won. The Dodgers won. Braves won. Yeah, this is the beginning of my fifth year. Wow. Anyway. Uh, once a week, I do a crossover with this guy over here who is in Azarona. Uh, tell people your name. I can't forget it. Yeah, it's Miller Thomas, in case oh, you all Miller forgot Tom. out there. Yeah, I don't know if you guys remember me from anything like HBO, like Sully Baseball, like that. I used to do weather for Arizona PBS through Cronkite News for like a semester. So maybe you guys know me from being the weatherman out here in Arizona. Do you guys watch local news? But hey, you can follow me on Twitter at the same time, at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account. Look up the show account, Lockdown Dimebacks, both Twitter, Instagram for the podcast handle. And please hit subscribe on the Lockdown Dimebacks YouTube channel. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you haven't been nominated for an Emmy yet. You haven't no. appeared on HBO yet. But you're also, what, you're nine. How old are you? I'm you're 25, like, so definitely 25. nine. okay. I am t- literally twice your age. Okay, but yeah, we're still going through a quarter-life quarter crisis over here. So. I know, but, like, when people say literally, uh, that's uh, most of the time they use it incorrectly. I mm-hmm. am literally twice your age. You're 25, I'm 50. Okay. But you're also twice as good looking, Sully. So that's hmm. true. That's true. And may you still have your hair at age fifty. I'm praying. I love my hair. So. I know. I like your hair too, man. By the way, a couple of things we want to mark about today, which is the 16th, which was uh, Dr. King Day, of course. Um, today right. is is Albert Pujols' birthday. Happy birthday, Albert Pujols! Uh, now retired, uh, absolute first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the great. You know. Uh, are there suspicions in clouds about him? Yeah, probably, as with every single slugger for his era. And he stood heads and shoulders above most of the players of his era and did so with a sense of flair and dramatic. He should be in the Hall of... If there's a Hall of Fame of Hall of Fames, Albert Pujols belongs in the Hall of Fame. Uh, one of the great figures of the uh, 2000s. Um, and when they put together his plaque to put up there in five years or you know whenever he's elected there will be two things that everyone will say he deserves it what a great cardinal legend and oh i totally forgot he played for the dodgers for a little bit because when the angels finally ate his contract he finished the 2021 season with the saint with the los angeles dodgers and he'll be yet another hall of famer who people will look at their plaque and go when did they play for the dodgers 
I'm looking at you, Juan Marichal, Frank Robinson, Ricky Henderson, Jim Tomei, Greg Ooh. Maddox, eventually Max Scherzer, and Albert Pujols will have the all the have the. When the hell were they on the Dodgers? Can even throw like a Manny Machado on that list too. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah Manny Machado. If he makes <laughs> yeah. it to the Hall, there'll be a lot of. There'll be a lot of. Wait, he was the. Right, he was with the Dodgers for about a second and a half. Dodgers have a bunch of those people just passing through. Just we're just passing through. But uh, happy birthday to Pujols, and um, and this is actually, um, you know, it's Dr. King Day, and there's a lot of people will be posting lots of quotes and lots of, uh, uh, you know, things that he said, things we can learn from the time, and. I just want to bring up another person who fought for um, the rights of players and also had to fight for a lot of uh, a lot of the strife at his time, fought through a lot of racial strife and was very brave at standing up for what he believed in, even though the consequences didn't turn out well. That's a sign of real bravery, in my opinion. This is the anniversary of Kurt Flood not uh not joining the Philadelphia Phillies. It happened 53 years ago. For those of you who don't know who Kurt Flood was, uh, Miller, do you know who Kurt Flood is? I'm not too familiar, familiar Sully, to be That's honest. fine. That's fine. Sometimes you got to either baseball, the history of baseball is never dead. Baseball mm-hmm. exists in the past, present, and future at all times. We're always addressing the past. We're always addressing the ghosts, whether it's the ghosts of Babe Ruth hanging over the Red Sox, the the all the titles that the Yankees won over time, the ghosts of whatever team is trying to win their first title since this or chase the record by that. We're always referring to the past in baseball, but we're relating to the present and looking forward to the future. That's why they all wear number 42 on Jackie Robinson Day. You're honoring the past and moving forward, trying to make a better future. That's part of the appeal of the game. You're joining it, as uh, Keith Olbermann said in the uh, the Ken Burns special, it's like you're joining a river in midstream. I'm not trying to bring up anyone political. It was actually a very nice way of putting it. Kurt Flood, who wrote this book called The Way It Is, about, his, uh, about this uh, struggle, was an African-American player of the St. Louis Cardinals, briefly with the Reds, but mainly with the Cardinals. When they went to the World Series left and right in the 60s, he was considered the second best defensive center fielder in baseball, the best being Willie Mays. He was a very good hitter, an outstanding fielder, and was a spark plug of those Cardinals teams. He also was on a team filled with strong personalities and fighters like Bob Gibson, like uh, Orlando Cepeda, like Lou Brock, and he didn't stand out amongst them. The Cardinals had the reputation, after some pushback, of being one of the more progressive teams in baseball. They actually did the unthinkable, like making sure all the players can stay at the same hotel, no matter what this color of their skin was. That was revolutionary in the 60s, making sure everyone could eat at the same restaurant again revolutionary in the 60s we take this for granted now or maybe some people take for granted now flood loved playing for the cardinals he also was a very good artist he won he had an art studio as a painter but that's neither here nor there um he was traded to the philadelphia phillies for dick allen and several other players and the phillies had the reputation of being one of the worst teams to play for 
if you're an African-American. And he said, I've been playing in baseball for 11 years. No, I'm not going to go. At the time, there was no free agency. None. You couldn't just say, there, there was. this is another thing you have to wrap your head around. At the time, there was the reserve clause. At the end of each year, if you couldn't agree to a contract, the team would just renew your contract. And you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't negotiate with the other team. You could only go to another team if you were traded. And Kurt Flood said, no, actually, I'm not going to the Phillies. I have the right to go to any other person. If they didn't like their job, they would find another employer. And he announced he was a free agent and refused to report to the Phillies. And what came about was a gigantic court fight that went all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. And Kurt Flood, how do I say this? When he brought up the fact that it was the amendment that banned slavery that made it illegal for him to be bound to a team against his his wishes, let's just say the press didn't treat him very well. Let's just say he was vilified. Let's just say he, the word uppity was brought about him. And another word was put after that that I'm not going to say. And the fact that he fought for his right to play for where he wanted to play made him look like they was this greedy, awful person who's going to destroy the game of baseball. And his court case didn't win. He did not win. Ultimately, he was released, played a handful of games with the Senators. But then when he came into the locker room, he saw someone had broken in and put a funeral wreath at his locker as a threat. And he realized if they could bring that flowers in there and no one saw them, someone could easily bring in a gun. And he quit baseball forever. And his career was over. But with that was the seeds planted of the legal fight that would eventually bring free agency, multi-million contracts, and incredible revenues for the players and the owners. And the idea of being with a team forever against the player's wishes became a thing of the past. But it took Kurt Flood to say, no, I'm not going to do that. And every other player, none of the players at the time would support him because they were afraid for their own career. One of the people who did stand up for him, Jackie Robinson, who testified for him and basically said, yeah, you should be able to pick where you work. You and I take that for granted. Sports players should take that for granted. They make millions of dollars now. But now they can all bring that back to the fight that Kurt Flood gave back on starting on this day in 1970 when he said, no, I'm not going to the Phillies. I'm going to stay with the Cardinals or pick my own team. So on a day where we talk about rights and we talk about people fighting for their rights, it may not seem like as important a right as several other civil rights that were fought for, but that is the right to work where you want to and, and play where you want to and earn your money where you want to. And Kurt Flood is a man who, in my humble opinion, was worth celebrating. Yeah, and Kurt, he challenged the reserve clause about a year after the assassination of Martin Luther King. So you have to just assume that some of that played into this inspiration for Kurt Flood to challenge the system and eventually break the system that was Major League Baseball at the time and enacted this whole free agency revolution that we now see where players can choose to sign wherever they want. And it's crazy to think that 
back then you weren't able to do that. You had to. It was basically like in the NFL, they have the franchise tag where a player can't leave. You give someone the franchise tag, they have to come back the next season. Baseball basically had a, every single season a franchise tag where you could give out to whatever player and they can never leave your franchise. So if it wasn't for Kurt Flood changing the way that we have baseball now and pretty much all sports in general because Kurt Flood, Spencer Hayward at the time as well for basketball, challenged the system which brought a about free agency as well. Like all these guys were connected around the same time during that time in the late 60s where you saw this big change in America at the time for the civil rights movement of course so um kurt flood was one of the revolutionary guys for his sport we see it with other players in other sports the kareem abdul jabbar the spencer haywards of the world and kurt flood was one of those revolutionary sports icons that went above sports and what he was able to do in the sport of baseball you know trickled out into actual civ uh civ civilization or society i should say not civilization society so uh, kurt flood was just an uh, amazing way he was able to do for the sport and beyond you saw the wave of African-American baseball players come in in the 40s and the 50s. And there became a new uh, there became a new generation of players who were a little more for lack of I don't want to say assertive because Jackie Robinson certainly was a fighter. But you saw, as you mentioned, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jim Brown. You saw, uh, you know, the rise of Muhammad Ali. And not, you know, in his fight against Vietnam, you saw Tommy Smith and John Carlos in their protest in the Mexico City Olympics. You saw Kurt Flood standing up for, you know, for workers, his own workers' rights. And people have said sometimes if you bring up anything that is quasi-political, that we should stick to sports. Here's the deal. Sports doesn't exist in a vacuum. Sports in our society are always intertwined. And many, many times, progress and understanding can be done through sports, whether it was going back to whether it's going back to Joe Lewis or Jesse Owens or to, to Jackie Robinson or through the 60s or through today. So many times, levels of understanding and levels of progress and levels of strife and levels of conflict can be found reaching a common ground on the sports field and understanding and coming to some form of understanding through sports. So if anyone thinks that we should talk about this and we should just stick to sports, let me just say we are, because this is part of what makes sports work. Part of what makes it work is it unifies certain regions and people, but it also can help us find understanding and find common ground and hopefully, you know, advance as a person and as people. And it is an absolute surefire bet <laughs> that the entire civil rights movement was kickstarted by the desegregation of baseball. I don't think that's a strong statement to make at all. And if you're going to make any bets, go to Bet Online. Oh boy, it's what a source. <laughs> It's your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. We got pro football playoffs going on. Will people in Buffalo finally be happy? They've got it all at betonline.net. If you love sports podcasts, you've listened to us. I bet you do. You can find those at BetOnline as well. They're having the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline is where the game starts. Oh, man, I didn't mean to get on my soapbox there, but, you know, what are you going to do? Hey, I want to just 
share something here. It is still Dr. King Day. Uh, a bunch of years ago, I wrote on, on my old Sully Baseball blog. I actually have it up here. You can't see what, what I'm looking at here. But I did a thing called a dream, a dream Team in honor of Dr. King. Oh. And I and I started thinking of before the seg, you know the desegregation of baseball, you had the Negro Leagues and you had Major League Baseball. And I think it's safe to say, and probably a surefire bet, that some of the players who were not allowed in the game would have been Hall of Fame level players. We actually we don't know. We don't know who would have been the star, who would have been the best players, who would have an obscure player may have become a star. But the level of play of the pre of you know segregated baseball was obviously lower because you weren't allowing all the best players to play. So mm-hmm. I wrote a list of you know who in terms of historians, there's no way we could really, you know, it's one of the great tragedies of baseball is beyond just the social justice that some of these players could have changed baseball history. Who knows? The Philadelphia Phillies may have had a dynasty if they had a, had Buck Leonard and Josh Gibson on their team. Who, you know, Satchel Paige could have been associated with one team. Or, you know, Oscar Charleston, who the, the great Buck O'Neill described as one of the greatest talents he ever saw, and this was a guy who discovered Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer, what if he was associated with one team instead of just the nomadic life of the Negro Leagues? And so some of these names, Josh Gibson, some some of these names you've heard of if you're a baseball fan, like Josh Gibson, but like Buck Leonard, Willie the Devil Wells, Pop Lloyd, Judy Johnston, uh, Turkey Stearns, whose uh, oh, granddaughter, whose granddaughter I've become very good friends with, the great Oscar Charleston, Cool Papa Bell, Bajum Wilson, who got that nickname because that's the sound the balls made when it hit Bajum. the ball. Bajum. Uh, Bullet Joe Rogan, Leon Day, Willie Foster, Ray Brown, Jose the Black Diamond Mendez, Hilton Smith, David Barnhill, Andy Cooper, Smokey Joe Williams, Cannonball Jackman, uh, Ray Dandridge, who was buried in the Giants minor league system because the Giants had already met their quota of black players. Uh, Martin DeHingo, Mule Stuttles, Cristobal Torriente, Biz Mackey, and Double Duty Radcliffe because he caught and pitched. All these wow. players. Original. Would be, oh, my God. Yeah. And then you had uh, Rube Foster, who was the greatest manager of the Negro Leagues and then later became the commissioner of the Negro Leagues. These are all p- people whose names should be associated with, you know, the way that you still will hear Ty Cobb in Detroit. Or Joe DiMaggio in New York, or Hank Greenberg with with the Detroit, or you know Babe Ruth with the Yankees, um, not the Red Sox. I mean, these are still names that you see on the walls and celebrated, and you know Christy Mathewson with the Giants. These these should all be names that we're familiar with, but they're yeah. not. And that I, I think also- is the great tragedy of the segregation. I also think it's kind of funny, like doing the reverse exercise, like how many white American baseball players would we think are not as good if they had to play alongside other black baseball players? How many of those white American baseball players would be like, uh, actually, they're not as good when we actually <laughs> uh, desegregate the sport and put them next to some black athletes. They're actually not as good at hitting the ball. They're actually not as fast as what we might have once thought when they were just racing against the Babe Ruth of the world. So I think that's also another fun exercise to look at the other side of the coin there. Oh, it's the, it's the thing that it would be – you would see the both 
white and black players games would be raised if they were up against the better competition. Yeah. And by the way, notice we're also not bringing up any Dominican players from that time. There's a handful of Cuban players that came, but like basically the major leagues was who are the best players who live near a train station and happen to be white. That was major league baseball scouting department. If you had the best players playing alongside each other, yeah, the, the, the thrill of a competition would be there. I mean, we think about like like some of the great catchers from there would be Bill Dickey or Mickey Cochran, but were any of them th- trying to throw out cool Papa Bell trying to st- steal second base? You know, I mean, were did Joe DiMaggio or Jimmy Fox ever had to face uh, uh, Satchel Page on the mound? And likewise, did Carl Hubble have to face Josh Gibson or Turkey Stearns, for that matter? I mean, you want to see the best competition. That's the that's the whole idea of it. And one of my favorite quotes from a player, from from a famous white player who understood that this was a travesty, what was happening, was Dizzy Dean, star pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, did some barnstorming thing with Satchel Page. And they were the two greatest pitchers of the 1930s. And Dizzy Dean said to Satchel Page, if you and I were teammates, we would win the pennant by July and go fishing until the World Series got started. Because <laughs> he just, we would just, we would dominate, but we never got to see that. Yeah, that's really tough to see. And also, I think we just missed out on a whole generation. It sounds like of just dope nicknames. Imagine if Turkey Stearns was a baller in Major League oh. Baseball. Imagine how many turkeys would be walking around today. Dudes oh, named yeah. Turkey and everything like that. Oh yeah, the, the nicknames are off the charts. They're just they're, they're the absolute best. And you, you just and apparently, I mean, you saw a glimpse of this when Jackie Robinson joined the Dodgers. The major leagues were pretty much station to station. I guess they were playing sabermetrics ball. They weren't stealing a lot of bases. And Jackie and brought in the style of play that they had, which was a lot of hit and run, a lot of going first to third, a lot of st- stolen bases. Uh, probably was a very fast-paced game. And I think you saw when you started to see, you know, not just star black players, but also mid-level black players, reserve black players on Major League Baseball, you saw an increase in stolen bases in a fast game, certainly in the 60s and 70s, you know, peaking in the 80s with just tons of stolen bases. And, you know, a lot of that stemmed from the fact there was a lot of artificial turf. And a fast game was, was if you had fast players and the ball skipping through the, the infield, that would help. But you saw a level of play that was, uh, you know, very, very high at that point. And well, I, yeah, I'm sorry. Well, do you think that's correlated to today then? Because it sounds like, you know, stolen bases went up in the 80s, 80s and whatever, 70s, when we had more of an influx of black talent. Now we see in today's game, the talent pool of black players has dramatic, you know, uh, dwindled down dramatically. And we also seen a downcrease in stolen baseball uh, and stolen bases as well in baseball over the last few years. So do you think that's then correlated? The lack of black players also correlates to the lack of stolen baseball, stolen bases. I don't know why I keep saying baseball, stolen bases we see in today's game. I think we're going to talk about that in our next segment. <laughs> okay. Um, Miller brought up something I want to talk about because there is a tremendous decrease in the number of African-American players. We saw Andrew McCutcheon, who was one of the more recent uh, black superstars, is returning home to his roots with the Pittsburgh Pirates. I'm glad to see that. 
Um, I've, Andrew McCutcheon is a player who is impossible not to root for, not just because his peak, he was a super exciting player and helped spark that brief renaissance we saw in Pittsburgh. Um, but he just seems, you know, everyone, everywhere he's gone, he seems to be like a, you know, a good solid teammate and a good citizen and everything like that. And as he's winding out his career, heading back to where he was, but there has not been a great uh, replenishment of black stars in baseball. Obviously, there's a tremendous Latin presence, and we're seeing the, the recent the signing of international players are coming from all different countries, including the Pirates just signed a couple of prospects from Uganda, for God's sakes. We're tapping into to Africa and, and other markets in Asia and, and in, you know, in Australia and all throughout Central and South America and in the Caribbean. But there was a point where baseball was the top sport for African-Americans in the United States. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's not now. No. <laughs> it's, it's really not. Um, I think there are some factors to that. Um, and again, it's always interesting when a guy who has my background looks like me dips his toe into this one. But you're here to give me cover. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Need to back you up in case anyone says anything. Okay, and also if I say anything out of line here, um, I I think one big thing is is I think there's been a lot of sort of it's become a very expensive to mm-hmm. to be a baseball player. Um, you know, you have a lot of these win- you know, these winter leagues and summer leagues, and you know, like it isn't like you played football a lot of times with these athletes. It's not like you're playing football in the fall, basketball in the winter, and then baseball in the spring. You're playing one sport all, year, yeah. you know, all year long. Um, it's and some of those leagues and the equipment, and everything are becoming more and more expensive, and not focusing on certain, you know, I'm trying to not step step <laughs> on a rake here. Uh, you know, it's been focusing on more affluent. Uh, it's become almost like tennis and golf in a way. Yeah, and, no, I, that's fair. No, accessibility yeah. is definitely a huge part of it because you just think about how easy it is to pick up a basketball, pick up a football. I mean, you could pick up a baseball and play catch, but like anyone could just practice their basketball skills on a hoop. Mm-hmm. Anyone could pick up a basketball, go practice that. Anyone could just start having a little flag football game in the front yard front yard to you know play and practice football but for baseball you need a group of friends you have to go find a diamond which is also the tough part you actually have to find a baseball field that'll let you go on there with your eight buddies or 12 buddies whatever you have you need a squad of friends to go play a baseball game and that's just a lot tougher to do um in general no matter your background so i think just from an accessibility standpoint it's a lot harder for someone to go find a baseball go find a glove and go play that sport as opposed to basketball or football and i also think when you look at in terms of uh, accessibility when i think about like the nba when i think about football nowadays you got like the aau you got all these basketball hoop circuits these guys play together from kids they travel around the country they're stars before they even make it to the nba you look at football all these three on three leagues all these five on five leagues there's so many different groups and skills and camps that these other sports run that all these young kids gravitate toward baseball i'm sure has camps too right now 
MLB this past weekend for the MLK weekend. They're doing their MLB Dream Series. So right now in Arizona, they have all these camps where they're focusing on predominantly showcasing young African-American players. But like that's a one weekend camp. I don't see too many Mookie Betts, you know, baseball classic camps or this and that. Like if you look at basketball, it feels like every NBA star has their own version of their own basketball camp that they run. I feel like baseball doesn't really have that. I haven't really heard of the Mike Trout baseball camp. And maybe there is, maybe there isn't one. But I feel like when you think about accessibility, there's so many basketball camps around the country. There's so many football camps around the country. I think it's just a lot harder to get a group of baseball friends to come together and go try to practice and play that sport and get better at it as opposed to some of the other sports you see that are popular in America. Yeah, I also think the weather has something to do with it. I mm-hmm. mean, it, I mean, basketball can be played indoors. You know, yeah. I mean, that's why, I mean, football is a little different, obviously, but I mean, it's sort of they playing to... anything, though. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, you know, you do see a lot of players coming out of the Caribbean, obviously, where there's, you know, the weather is great, you know, and out of you know Central and South America where the weather is great. And you're also seeing there are academies and there are groups of people where they get groups of people together to play baseball there. I mean, it's I guess it's one reason why you get more hockey players out of Manitoba and you get more shortstops out of the Dominican Republic. Part of that has to do with the freaking weather. You know, there's not a lot yeah. of you. You follow. You're a big part of the Arizona uh, Coyotes situation there. Not a lot of dudes there from Panama, you know, playing <laughs> hockey these days. Um, you know, hockey in the desert stuff in general, you know, we're trying to really build that sport up. But you do see a lot of, you know, a lot of players coming out of, of the Southwest and the South of America and, you know, and South America for that matter. But I think there's one other aspect. And, and this is, I've been, I've had a theory about this for a little bit. And I think that there was a period of time where there were a lot of the predominant stars in baseball were, African-American players. You know, you're not just going through, we just mentioned the 40s and the, the arrival of Jackie, the arrival of the Henry Aarons and the Willie Mazes and the Frank Robinsons and the Ernie Bankses, and then through the 60s, the Bob Gibsons and the, you know, Roberto Clemente is still a god amongst the Puerto Ricans. But I mean, in terms of like, you know, we mentioned, I said Bob Gibson, Lou Brock, um, Reggie Jackson, you know, right, you know, Dick Allen all the way through the 70s. And then the 80s, you saw another great influx of superstars, the Kirby Puckets, the Ricky Hendersons, the Tony Gwynns, the Dave Stewarts, the Dave Winfields, the Ozzie Smiths. And in the early 90s, you saw the next great wave of African-American stars, Ken Griffey Jr., Barry Bonds, I mean, you know, Barry Larkin, all these great future Hall of Famers or should be Hall of Famers were starting to come through and starting to to, uh, uh, become gigantic stars. And at that time, Major League Baseball was not promoting their own stars. And I, because there was such labor strife and they didn't want to put the stars on this giant pedestal. They were on the verge of this labor disaster of the early 1990s. At the exact same time, the NBA was exploding. Remember, the NBA's popularity was so low at the beginning of the 1980s that the NBA Finals was on tape delay. Yeah. And by the end of the decade, it was the biggest global phenomenon. Bird and Magic, obviously, and, and you know, the end of Dr. J, obviously, Michael Jordan caused that to explode to a level we never thought of. While Michael Jordan was exploding, Ricky Henderson was the greatest 
the, the greatest offensive force we've seen in years. Barry Bonds was the greatest talent we saw. Ken Griffey Jr. was the most exciting player we saw. You know, blah, 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 blah. Every, you know, Joe Carter, you know, touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit another big one in life. Dave Stewart winning every big game in the world. Barry Larkin leading the Reds. All the stuff, Kirby Puckett, Tony Gwynn, and baseball was not promoting them. Baseball was not putting them front and center. They weren't doing the Nike ads. You knew you knew the third or fourth player on the Bulls and the Suns and the Knicks. But most people wouldn't know who Ken Griffey Jr. is unless he was wearing his uniform and had a sign that said, hello, my name is Ken Griffey Jr. And that's inexcusable because he was not only supreme talent, did great on television, but wanted to be seen by everybody. And I think that... This I don't know. This may not be a huge factor, but I think the fact that there was a whole generation of kids not putting their posters on the wall, but putting you know Barkley and Pippen and of course MJ on the wall, and then same thing with the NFL. I think that that played no small part in an entire generation not idolizing a group of players and wanting to emulate them. No, I think fame definitely plays a part of it because like you're talking about, when you become a superstar black athlete in baseball, you don't get the same acclaim as you do in basketball or football. You can't just walk around the streets and get mobbed by fans like you do in the NBA and NFL. I think that fame does play a factor too. I feel like in the culture that we have here in America for a lot of these young athletes and youths, like just in general, like you want to be recognized for your talent. Like all these, we talked about all these basketball prospects coming up. They all have their mixtapes. all have huge followings on social media before they even blow up. But for a young baseball prospect, it's just not going to be the same fame and acclaim. We don't usually know how good a baseball prospect is. A youngster is until they make it to the major leagues until they start showcasing their ability. We know about these young NBA players that end NFL players from their times in colleges and their times in high school. And you don't get the same level of fame if you're doing it the baseball method. And now you're looking at the sports of today. First off, like you just talked about, you don't have the fame. You also don't have that representation like you used to have back in the day in the 80s and the 90s. So it's harder for a young black American now to want to start picking up the sport of baseball because you look at the sport of baseball, there's not a lot of people you can identify with. You got the Mookie Betts of the world. You got still the Andrew McCutcheons of the world, but there's a small talent, uh, a small pool of talent of black players right now, in major league baseball. So I feel like if you really want to get, you know, young African-Americans back to watching the sport of baseball. Like, I don't even know if there's really a way to do it, but I feel like you need like a black Shohei Otani realistically. Like you need a Tiger Woods of baseball because Tiger Woods didn't like make more black golfers, but at least got like the black audience to watch golf. And he at least got a different set of eyeballs and audience to watch the sport of golf for baseball. I'm not sure you're going to have an influx of black talent. If you get a black Shohei Otani, but you can at least get a new audience, more eyeballs to the game. I think. I do think that the fact that they had such a such a large number of Hall of Fame or certainly all-star quality players who were African-American at the beginning of the 1990s who were not given the press and not given the attention that they should have, I, I think plays no small part in – it was like a generation of kids that was lost. And you saw – I mean, you'll see – hero worship when, you know, Ortiz returned back to the Dominican Republic or, you know, uh, you know, Miguel Cabrera coming back to, you know, Venezuela, you know, Mariano Rivera going back to Panama, all this sort of, you can still see there's, there, are, there could be potential hero worship. We just, 
I don't know. I, I don't have yeah. the answer. I just want to address. I just want to address the question there because yeah, it seems you know it it seems strange. And I'll tell you something that I mean. If I were, I mean, I'm not going to negative smear campaign something here, but if I were, you know, I know there was the whole RBI, you know, uh, reviving baseball in inner city program that the late John Young formed in the 2000s to sort of create some of these leagues. Maybe that will, you know, some players will come from that. I would, if I, I mean, it, this is a mild smear campaign against another sport. What we're learning about concussions in football and the long-term destruction that can do to someone's brain, I was saying, hey, um, instead of putting the helmet on and maybe turning your brains into mush, uh, yeah, your helmets and baseball get hit by a pitch or two, but you're not, you don't get a concussion every time you draw a ball four. You know, I mean, I, I, there should be uh, the, just the safety for a kid uh, to play baseball. And let's face it, baseball is the best sport to play if you're a kid, because if you're playing youth basketball, you could pass it to the same kid every time. Youth soccer, you kick it to the same kid every time. In Little League, every kid gets a turn at bat. Every kid gets a chance. And you know what? I, that's something to celebrate, too. Yeah, there's some great positives to baseball. You get more long-term investment, usually, if you're a great baseball player. You get more long-term on your deal. Um, the money, you make way more as a baseball athlete than you do as an NFL player. But once again, like we were talking about, I think it goes back to baseball just not being, like, a cool sport. Like, it, it's tough to say, but, like, I think young black Americans just don't resonate with the sport of baseball as they do with other sports. You can't like young athletes today care so much about building their brand. And like you talked about, baseball still hasn't really figured out how to prop up the brand of their own athletes. So it's like if I'm a young athlete, why would I go to baseball? I can have the I can have the money in baseball. I can have the long term security. But can I have the fam? Can, can I have the fame? Can I have the post career after when I'm done playing the sport? like I can in basketball and football because a lot of those guys still have endorsement deals. A lot of those guys still have TV gigs and stuff like that. In baseball, you're just not in the limelight as much when you're done playing baseball, unless you're like uh, Kevin Millar. And here is where it's so frustrating for me on the, uh, for, uh, on that issue that for me, baseball seems to be like the single best sport for the internet age in that there's always new content like right now, it's the NFL playoffs. Okay, I, I'm I've made no bones about it. I'm not I don't follow the NFL, but I do. You know, I'll watch a playoff game if it's on. You know, I mean, I I dip my toe into it, and I and I did watch um, the the thrilling end to the 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 Buffalo and Miami. Who's going to win? It's going back and forth. Yeah. You know, it's like and and I've a lot of friends from the Buffalo area, and some still live in Buffalo, and and I'd like fans in Buffalo to f experience joy in life. And uh, I know that's, that's, that's sacrilege to say, but you know, but then, okay, the game is over and now we got to wait a full week. If you love your football, you got to wait a full week for a new game in baseball. There, there's always a game on. There's always a chance to show a highlight. There's always new content that you could be putting on there. The NBA seems to understand that. The NBA understands that if they put their content on, there's lots of games a week, and they're and they're putting things on wherever the eyeballs of the fans are. Baseball always seems to fight the internet, blacking out games here, blacking out content here, restricting use of this or that. When the the people who are trying to post these things are trying to carry the water for baseball. 
to say we're trying to put it in front of some of these young eyes. And, I, you know, I think it, it's frustrating for me because the way it isn't because I'm going to watch baseball no matter what. But I would like to see the sport grow. I would like to find a new generation of fans to discover the game. I do think it's a thrilling sport, obviously. And, you know, they need to figure out how do we get it in front of the right eyeballs and how do we find the right, maybe the right star to, you know, to make baseball cool again. Yeah, and the issue is it feels like there's just so much hidden code in baseball where they have all these unwritten rules where every time you have like a Tim Anderson expressing himself on a baseball field, it always like feels like his voice is being quieted a little bit and calmed yeah. down. So it's like it's hard to say you want more representation in baseball when everyone these or everyone every time one of these guys try to express themselves by, you know, being quote unquote showboating, you know, pimping a home run, doing something like that, doing a bat flip after a home run, you always say, you know what, now we gotta beam you next time up, or we're gonna call you out. In the press conference saying you're not playing the right way like fernando tatis jr when he hits a grand slam on a 3-0 pitch we got to go rip him as the manager in the press conference i think he was like ripped by no, his no, own manager or whatever that, like what, that, what are we doing here that is the single stupidest thing like if i if someone wants to do cartwheels and have a marching band follow them around after a home run i'm fine with it in fact it's funny that you hear about going one of the 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 uh the places one of my baseball bucket lists is uh to go to the caribbean series because i hear like when you go to the caribbean series in the winter and winter ball it is a carnival and you also hear that there's so much styling going on in those games the home runs and people are pimping their home runs or or strutting around on the mound when they get a strikeout let's do that and all this nonsense about play the right way shut up Shut up. up. Babe Ruth used to tip his cap as he was running around the base path. Carl Yastrzemski used to watch and and show up the pitcher when he was at home plate. Okay, people used to do all sorts of stuff. Those old timers you revered were looked down upon by the previous generation that they weren't playing it the right way. Shut your traps. Baseball is fun. So let's make it fun. Stop being fun police. Okay? And, And also... Um, what is it people love to see, too? You show the clips of Carlton Fisk waving the ball fair, Joe Carter jumping up and down, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. They don't just show Ken Griffey Jr. making the catch and then calmly walking back to the dog. Him holding it up as he's running and doing the little thing like that. We love to see that. So let's stop making it. Oh, no, you must always show no emotion on the field. You know, stop it. Just stop it. If that's holding its back, that's the stupidest thing you've ever heard. Stupidest. Yeah. Act like you've been there before. As if you wouldn't be jumping up and down like an idiot. Yeah, I don't know why people want their players to be statues like when they do something cool. Like I, I never understood that, but yet fans go wild in the stands. But you want your players to have no emotion when they're actually the ones putting in the work? I, I never understood that. Well, here's the deal. Some people may... Just be a Bernie Williams and put their head down and do that, you know? Or some people may celebrate. You know, Dennis Eckersley may do the whole thing where he points at you when he strikes you out. Or, you know, or someone may be, you may be a Rivera and just sort of walk off the mound. It, It depends. It just depends. Let's bring out people's personalities because in the end, remember when I, you and I talked about this. We're going to wrap this show up because we're in our fifth hour. But, um, 
when I think I told you this, that someone asked me if you were going to try to get somebody who's not into baseball into baseball, what would you do? And I would say, watch what the Olympics do, which is tell their backstory. Get people into this, interested in the story behind the person, and then they'll root for them. You'll root for them if you're doing British baking. You'll root for them if you're making a dress in Project Runway. You'd root for them if they're doing it's curling, okay? You get emotionally attached to it. And so let's get emotionally attached to some of these players, and let's make some of these players represent certain parts of our country and culture. And, damn it, here in Dr. King Day, we do – unite everybody and say stick to sports let's get all the best players playing in here i want every best talented baseball player whether it's being brought in from uganda or puerto rico or australia or compton to be playing in major league baseball so we can see the best product possible miller thomas finishes off yes i agree with sully think about how many great players that are not in baseball that are playing in the NFL or NBA right now just because they didn't want to come over to the sport. Imagine if Deion Sanders never wanted to give baseball a try. Imagine how many Deion Sanders there are playing other sports when they could be playing baseball. We got to get our representation back up. We need more black players in baseball. Let the kids play. Let them show their emotions. And Tim Anderson, hopefully you can be the one to lead us because he's one of the most fun players to watch. He just needs to be healthy. Amen. All right, Miller. Well, um, hey, Everyone, thanks so much for making Locked On MLB your first listen. And for your second listen, make that Locked On Diamondbacks. Your third listen, make that be Locked On MLB Prospects. Friend of the podcast, Lindsey Crosby. He's a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of getting your podcast, Miller Thomas, where can people listen to you? Hey, you can follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account or look up Locked on Dimebacks, both Twitter, Instagram for the podcast. And please hit subscribe on the Locked on Dimebacks YouTube channel. And you can follow us at Locked on MLB Pods on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, you can follow me uh, on Instagram at Locked, uh, Sully Baseball Podcast and subscribe to us on YouTube. We have, uh, I think I misread this, 4 billion subscribers. <sighs> oh, wait, no, no, we don't. We have a little less than that, but we're, that's our goal. Our goal is 4 billion subscribers. Then we'll put a tip jar in and ask you to just drop a dollar in every it's month. And yeah. And Miller, I'll, if, if I, if they all do that, I'll kick a hundred bucks over to you. Oh, wow. So, Thank you so much. <laughs> You're so, so generous. So I'm kind. a generous man. Sticking to baseball with Miller Thomas of Locked On Diamondbacks. This has been the Dr. King edition of Locked On MLB. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. Let's fist pump for the doctor. 